0: Hello everyone, welcome back or welcome to Passing Dimes. My name is Josh Nichol, joining me Dallas Keith. Good, you? I'm doing phenomenal. Possibly one of my favorite guests is on
1: the pod today. Um, Literally, I cannot be happier about this episode. You're giddy about it. I'm excited because you're excited. I am fired up. I've been trying and trying and trying for this guest to be on the pod and it's finally happening. She's here in the flesh and I don't really know what to do.
0: Let's let's get into it. So let's do the back and forth thing. So at the start of the season was number one team ranked in the world. I think it was the first
1: multi-medalist for Canada in beach volleyball.
0: Yeah, I did my fact checking. They, she's won six tournaments. That's pretty good lot of podiums there. Yeah, uh, that includes uh, a 1440, Kutunur Sika, and that includes some FIVs, so BAM. FIVB Defender of the Year, three times running. National champion. Can't forget that. Anyone who was at nationals this year probably saw the plaque that's uh, staying at Bombay Beach Club. Her name's on it. I think a few times.
2: Just once. Just <laughs> once. A long time ago. <laughs>
0: Jim the intern had to check yeah. that real quick. I got too good getting one one fact correct. That's about my limit for an episode. And was a dominant indoor player. Won an OUA championship with the University of Toronto Varsity Blues. I mean, former... I, you're getting, there's too many
1: accolades here. Former top scorer at the University of Toronto. You know, let's just bring her in. Let's start talking
0: to her. It's Heather Bansley,
2: everybody! Yeah! yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Welcome.
2: It's really nice to be here. It's nice to see Dallas again. It's been a while. It's been
1: too long. Yeah. It's been too long. I've been hounding you to get on the podcast
0: for, I think, years now. Finally, you're here. This is really why we started the podcast, so you could still talk to volleyball people now that you're a big shooter, you know, leaving the volleyball world. Yeah,
1: I, I, I had this stunning desire to need friends after I retired, so this is probably the <laughs> best avenue I had to being like, hey, like, want to hang out? <laughs> we <laughs> can
2: put it on the yeah. internet.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got this job talking into a microphone. I think you can be a part of it.
0: So anyways, back to you. How is your season going so far? Let our listeners in. Uh, where are you in your season? What's next?
2: So we're kind of winding down the season. We've got uh, just a couple tournaments left. We, uh, Brandy and I had to Rome on Sunday for the World Tour Finals. And then we've got um, a World Olympic Qualifier in China after that. And then our last event of the season will be uh, FIVB 4-star in Mexico in November.
0: Nice and you won that one last year when it was a 3-star, right?
2: Yeah, we did. It was our last tournament of the season last year too. Uh, we had played Vegas and Mexico back-to-back won both of those, so it was a really, really great way to end the season. So,
0: What's it like being in Mexico with crowd-favorite Brandy Wilkerson?
2: <laughs> um, everybody wants to marry Brandy in Mexico, uh, so she gets tons of fans. Um, I mean, I'm just like kind of there as well, so I get to like feel like they're also cheering for me, but it's mostly for Brandy. But. Uh, you know, like it's it's good. I'll it's, take it. It's the
0: Brandy show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no one's named their club team after you yet? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, definitely not. Someday. I think that's... We talked to Brandy about this. That's when you know you made it, when somebody's named yeah. their youth volleyball team after you as a person. I think
1: the... You know, when you see people wearing your old sports bras or you have, like, signed caps or whatever, I mean, that's cool. Having banners up in, like, the, you know, the five-star venue is cool, but... Having an academy team named after you—I mean, that's—you've
2: <laughs> made it. Yeah, that's a
1: celebrity
0: amongst celebrities. So you mentioned World Tour Finals. I think you've played in everyone since they they announced this format. But this year it's different, right? It's basically a five star this year. It's not like an invitation only battle it out for a lot of money. Like there's yeah. points on the line. There's a draw of thirty two this year, I think.
2: Yeah, it's going to be the same as a five star. You have the so they have a qualifier and then a full draw of thirty two. In the past, it's just been a like your top 10 to 12 uh, world tour teams so it's um yeah different format i think it's a different promoter it's not going to be a major series event and so it's um and then they're counting it towards olympic qualification and uh and then there's points awarded to it whereas in the past it was just a just a tournament for lots of prize money
0: Right, so you've been on tour, Dallas is just pulled up your BBV like, since probably, well it says 2007, but I think that was a youth event. So, Hey man, youth events still count. <laughs> they <laughs> they definitely do. Don't
1: take away a quarter of my career. <laughs> so
0: let's do it. Let, let's call it over a decade. Can you just explain to our listeners kind of the intensity that comes with Olympic qualifying versus say like a, nor- like a year after the Olympics where points aren't on the line, like the prize money might go down, like what really changes in terms of like intensity, the amount of teams who are out there, like new partnerships, things like that?
2: yeah it's it's kind of the cycle of the quad of every quad i would say so yeah the year after the olympics like you said it's generally people are less stressed for sure you're not you know so worried about accumulating those olympic ranking points and um, you know there's a lot of people maybe taking time off or being a little bit more selective with the tournaments that they're going to play uh, it's, it's just definitely more relaxed, um, yeah, or, or people are, or, or, you know, especially on the women's side, taking time to have a family, so, um, and then as you get, especially once the Olympic qualification starts, those two years, two years prior, it's um, a lot, just everyone's kind of like keeping track of everything, checking the ranking every week, you know, like tr- keeping track of the points, calculating everything, and I mean, I'd say it's just, you're stressed until you know 100% that you've qualified so
1: yeah so I'm gonna ask this are you do you sort of take part in that point tracking as well I know that uh like well you just alluded to it right like people are so fixated on I'm gonna lose this event I'm gonna gain this like sort of weighing your options if I play this event I'm gonna drop this or I have to you know place a certain ranking in order for my points to go up do you find yourself doing that or you just sort of go hey like I know my schedule as I know it, and this is what I'm going to do.
2: Um, I think it's sort of a juggle of both, because, like, we'll, like, early on in the season, I think when it's, like, when you're in the chunk of tournaments, like, you, especially with, like, world championships and the five stars, you're like, well, I'm playing all of those no matter what. It it kind of, it gets to a point when maybe there's some tournaments that are back-to-back and you need to take some, like, a period of rest or, um you know maybe you just near the end of the season need some time off that's kind of when I think like we'll be a little bit more calculated and like in what we do and and then um, also it it depends like if you're like where you are right if you're like you know not even not worried about dropping down into the qualifier or, or like if you're okay with where your ranking is at then you're not always like having to kind of consider like okay what's our ranking point or what's our entry points and calculate it that way um but yeah it's uh but there is like you have to do it because there's those there's the five stars and the four stars and the, just the makeup of the tournament so if you're going to you know, you could play a five-star in the middle of the season, and then if there's a three-star near the end, like, you don't necessarily want to play that three-star if you're dropping your five-star point. So it's, yeah, I would say kind of you have to play that game, and it's unfortunate because you kind of want to just go and play and be able to play everything, but I think that there is an element of that that all teams kind of have to take consider.
1: Now, did you notice that with the structure... That was before. I'm, I'm sort of can't really. I'm fumbling around my words because you're intimidating me so much. But
2: you're doing great. Thanks. Dallas. It's my
1: first time.
2: And you look good. You got jeans on. I don't know if I've seen you in jeans. Like, you're a whole new man.
1: I'm literally a whole new man. I'm doing a triathlon. Not a big deal. <laughs> um. So what I'm trying to say back to volleyball is. You've been around to see everything, right? Like when you started playing, there was Satellite and Challenger series, and there's Open and Grand Slams, and now there's the star system. Do you think there's more sort of manipulating draws now that there's so many different styles of tournament, as opposed to Grand Slams are big money, big points, Open is sort of the way to get into the Grand Slams?
2: Um, thanks for dating me. That was really nice. <laughs> yeah, I've been around forever. Um, um, I'm not sure because, to be honest, like, when I first started, I wasn't, uh, like, I wasn't at that point where I was calculating, like, okay, like, to get, like, you know, I was just playing, I was so new, I was, like, in the qualifier, you know, dead last sort of thing, so it definitely took some some years for me to get to a point where I was uh, like, okay, I got to kind of consider this, but I think, um, I think especially more now because when, if I'm remembering correctly, like there was a point, like the challengers and satellites, the top 32 teams in the world, or there was a cutoff where the teams couldn't play that. Right. But now you could have everybody entering in anything from a one to a five star. So you, um, so I think it was a li- maybe like a little bit more controlled but also I think in the last few years there's been fewer like fewer events and the prize money has really dropped kind of like from what it was right um, So I think teams are um, just trying to play more tournaments and um, so I, I don't I think there will always sort of be that element.
1: right I'm glad that you you talked about sort of your struggles, because I think, and Josh, you can probably attest this to, I think when you and Brandy sort of reached that number one status, people were like, oh, they came out of nowhere. And you've been doing this, for, sorry to do you again, but you've been doing this since essentially 2008, right? Like you've been doing this a long time. You've been through the, the thick of the qualifiers, through the thick of like, you know, getting top 10 finishes, working your way up to the podium, like I know that Jamie and Christina can sort of take the the record of being the first gold medal team, but I think you were the first one to really sort of lock, stock, and barrel, like, sort of 2014 on, really solidify yourself as, like, I'm an FIVB medalist. Like, I'm expected to win a medal every tournament I play in. But what do you think of that? Like, do you think people sort of didn't give you enough credit when you became number one, in the sense that, like... You're not an overnight success like you really worked for everything that you got and that's super you know i admire that more than anything else
2: i'm not really sure i think um i think for me it was it was uh more focused on kind of like what what me and brandy were doing and not necessarily i guess like taking um just i mean it's great when you know to know that you have supporters and followers but also I th- I think we always kind of kept in our bubble like me and Brandy and our, and our coach Leonard just always knowing that um, you know just feeling and, and setting goals for our team that like we, we have more to do and, and I think a big goal for us has always been to be consistent and um, yeah I, like you said I mean Brandy and I were like you know last year was our second season together it was pretty pretty new team and Um, in the beach volleyball world, but yeah, I, have been playing for so long and and working so hard. And, um, so I, I, you know, I've developed as, as a player and I still feel like I have so much more, um, to give and to do. And, and I think, um, with Brandy, you know, it's just that, that team thing. And I mean, she's, um, you know, she's, she's younger than me and then also started, um, if you look at maybe the development of sort of athletes and athletes in general, I would like, you could say she stayed, started late, but, um, yeah, I think we just, uh, kind of focus on, focus on our own thing and not, um, I mean, it's, yeah.
0: <laughs> I think the, like the, the term the process kind of gets overused in sports a lot, but I do want to kind of go back to when you and Liz, I think you took a ninth in Fouquet the one year you did probably the best of the women's team at the Quebec open when you're kind of in the process, do you need, I guess, evidence to kind of prove that you're on the right path? Because it's hard to be 12. Well, if you're not winning tournaments, people don't think you're being successful. But you actually got like a bunch of top 10 results. You were constantly climbing the ladder. Like, what would you tell one of our younger listeners about like, you can still kind of play the way you want to play and improve, but not be winning medals, right? Yeah. Like, how how would you kind of describe that process that you, you knew you were getting better, even though like there wasn't the evidence of a physical medal, right?
2: Yeah, I think... um I think that kind of ties into sort of like what Dallas was asking. Like you, as an athlete, you really, and especially like a Canadian athlete, you really only recognize you know when you're winning a medal. So when you're like, you know, first, second, or third. Um, And I think the best example is if you are you know if you finish fourth at the Olympics, that that still is a a really huge accomplishment, but you probably don't get any recognition for finishing fourth. And um, and so as to sort of relate that to beach volleyball i mean like you could be on tour and you could be having these good results you could be finishing fifth just um losing in the quarterfinals, which is you know like as an athlete as you're developing that's you know you're you're getting closer and closer but nobody's recognizing that nobody's seeing or hearing about your fifth place finishes for example so i think um it really it's i would say it's like a personal motivator comes down to you as an individual, like what what are your goals, what are your team goals? Um and uh, I mean you're not always going to be recognized for what you're doing. That's just sort of like the nature of our sport, the nature of um like our sport in Canada especially. So I think um I think you kinda have to be able to look at yourself and and like I said like set those goals um and and see you know how you're progressing or what you're doing. I, I don't think I don't think anybody is playing beach volleyball to, you know, to be recognized or, (laughs) like, it's uh, everyone's, like, self-driven here, especially in Canada, so, yeah.
0: Nice, and we, we talked to Brandy about this, but one thing that I admired about your game was this winter you guys were both located in Toronto, and I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that you trained by yourself a lot, like, it was you, Brandy, and Leonard, Best team in the world training by themselves most times. And and Brady admitted on her show that she was ready to take a trip at one point during the season just to break up how how tedious it was getting. How did you deal with that in the summer where you guys obviously set some goals, but what was it like showing up every morning at Downsview knowing that like there was gonna be not a lot of external focus because there's no gameplay, you're not getting lost in like a competitive thing, it's it's going over the process again and again. Like how did you manage kinda those expectations? I'm sorry, no, you can't practice with (laughs) that.
2: Well, give yourself some credit first, Josh. You were there helping us out <laughs> in a lot of practice. <laughs> Woo! Big plug. <laughs> um, it, uh, I mean, it, yeah, it's definitely challenging to be practicing at Downsview, you know, in this warehouse, staring at the same, like, dirty white wall, um, over and over, doing the same you know, sort of, like, repetitive uh, drills over and over again. And, yeah, it's not the same as, you know, traveling around the world, being outside and being in the sun. But it, I think that we, uh, we knew that it was an investment sort of in our development as athletes, um, that it was, you know, a big thing that we wanted to work on some technical skills with with Leonard. And, um, and for me personally, I think it was, uh, it was really, um, nice to be home for a, a chunk of time, like be in Toronto and, um, I've been in this work for so long and a lot of, a lot of my time has been spent abroad and I think, um, I just can appreciate, um, living in my own space, living in my own city, um, a little bit more, but, but yeah, it's definitely like, you know, at a point you kind of like, uh, just get so, so exhausted and tired of, of doing the same thing over and over again. And, um, you, you know, you're itching to compete. You're itching to get up and play with some of the the top teams. So, um, yeah, we did that. We, you know, we went to California and uh, had some training camps there, which I think helped break it up. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, <laughs>
1: definitely, down a, to commitment to it. <laughs> definitely <laughs> a
2: commitment. Definitely a commitment. So, yeah.
1: There's there's nicer places in the world than the full time training
0: center. So. <laughs> But it's home now. It's home. For sure,
2: it's
0: home. It's home. So I was happy to move out of the house. <laughs> um, Dallas kind of touched on this earlier, just with the success you and Brandy are, are having, and how expectations can change. Do you still get like a rush when you make a quarterfinal, or is it just kind of like you no know, quarters are part of it? We're going to semis. We're going to the podium. Like, is there still like Do you remember the first time you w- made a quarterfinal? Like, do you still get that giddy and excited about it, or is it kind of like this is this is where we belong?
2: Yeah, it's. um I think, I think it's kind of a mixture of both. I, I think sort of how, um, experience has sort of taught me to be really like thankful for, uh, you know, getting those, getting to getting to that point, but then still wanting more. I think, um, I, yeah. And I, and I think you kind of need a mixture of both. Like you've got to stay motivated, but you can't be, um, you know, so, so cocky and, and ahead of yourself that you can't appreciate of where you, like, of what you've kind of accomplished to get there. And, and I think this season especially has sort of taught me that, um, you know, we haven't had the results that we've, um, you know, that we set for ourselves, the goals that we set for ourselves. So it's, um, I think, just uh, feeling really, like, thankful and, and excited, but still definitely hungry, you know, when we get into those quarters and those semis
1: really fires me up to listen you talk because it's like you've been doing it for such a long time but you're always talking about like development and investing in yourself and getting better and it's like shit like now I want to get back playing because like I don't feel as though I've invested in myself properly you're like no but it's like it's sweet to hear that like you've obviously reached the highest pinnacle of the sport but you're like no I can do so much more and there's so much like untapped potential that I have in myself and this team and God, Heather, it's about time you came on this podcast. <laughs> fire me up, was Oh, wow.
2: Thanks, Dallas. <laughs> no, I don't mean, know if you're to... into it or if you're... No, I'm, so,
1: I'm so fired up. And it, <laughs> and it just reminds me of, like, you know, I was fortunate enough to travel with you uh, in Brazil when you guys won a bronze medal, and that sort of pole vaulted you guys into into your world number one ranking, but, like, you know, Josh, big shout-out to... Heather, being such a wicked teammate, like, totally stayed, watched my qualification match, like, talked to me after on the shuttle bus, like, went out to lunch, went out to dinner, like, totally didn't big league me and say, like, I'm way better than you, check out this medal, like, you know, that's where we became friends, Heather.
2: It is. Well, I mean, you've got, like, you got your family, your Canadian family when you're on the road, and I think having been on the road for so long, that's, um, you just, you're around these people so much that, you know, you're away from home, you're traveling with these people, you get to see some pretty incredible places and kind of share these memories. So it's, I think, um, I think I've really gotten to a point where I can appreciate that like those times sort of in between matches. And um, I think really, I remember coming into the sport and kind of coming a little bit first. Or, full circle. But when I first started, I remember like Annie Martin, um, watching her play with Marie Andre and, um, just like admiring them so much. And, and, and I think having them, um, you know, welcome me to the tour and, um, and support me and me and my partner at the time, Liz. And so, um, I think that's kind of like a really, uh, like a, a bonus I would say to, to being on tour is that we have um, such a big contingent and that you can like you can spend time and go out for dinner and um, and drinks and like celebrate with the people and have those people around you and like really develop some some special friendships on the road.
1: If nothing else comes out of this episode, I want people to know, especially younger athletes, Heather is approachable and speaking from someone who was <laughs> horrifiedly afraid of you for years because so intimidating watching her do like double body squats and like just like oh shit how to clean that And it's like i remember taking the bus home for me. We were, like, hey, hey heather like <laughs> i worked out beside you too but like <laughs> now we have this like oh like hey like we're buddies and friends it's like i encourage everyone and now you're gonna get mobbed like the celebrity you are people talk to heather so much information is in that head of yours
2: Anytime, you're welcome to talk to me. Dallas to, can she's talk, look, she's looking Dallas directly at me you, when I <laughs> if Dallas can talk to me, anybody can talk
0: yeah, well, to me. This is great because usually your hot takes are like negative and like no. kind of ranty where Heather's positivity is just like taking over the Passing times headquarters where you're Whoa. so fired up right now that it's not good. Some you people, hear
2: that, Dallas? We're a good team.
0: Right? <laughs> <laughs> I was about
1: to take a hot take there, but I think it. Uh, I think well that one will come off the record. <laughs>
0: Is that important to you? I guess you've been on the Canadian national team for, for a while and you went to was it U Twenty Ones you went to Diane with?
2: Yes. So yeah. We both
0: had to think about that for a while.
1: Such a big deal
0: she I had
2: No, I knew it was Diane, <laughs> but I had to remember if it was under twenty one or under nineteen, but it was under twenty one.
0: Do you think it's important to kind of welcome people that there there are people out there like Dallas who have weird expectations? Like do you find it that when you walk by like a first year on the national team, like they don't want to make eye contact with you, they don't want to interrupt your lift, like there's Is there a certain team dynamic that people have to get used to when there's such various levels, I guess, within the national team?
2: Um, I mean, I've heard a lot that I'm unapproachable, or intimidating is the word. Um, I'll give you intimidating, I'm (laughs) unapproachable,
1: I don't know. Ah, you're pretty fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't know what people are talking about. I don't know what 2014 Dallas is thinking. (laughs) You're a new man now. Yeah. I wear jeans.
2: (laughs) Um... I think, uh, I mean, I, I sympathize. I, I get it. I, I think there's sort of that, um, hierarchy on a team. It's like, you know, even in university, you know, your first years and your fifth years, and it's just, you know, especially for people who are new to the program and coming in and kind of trying to find their place on the team. But, um, I think, I think a lot of it, um, you know, for me as an athlete, you know, I, I spend a lot of time, um, you know, training outside of Toronto, so I wasn't necessarily around a lot. So maybe people didn't wouldn't get to know me, um, or just you know, being a senior athlete. Um, oftentimes, we're kind of the senior athletes are a little bit separate from the um, development athletes. Um, but I think, uh, like like Deva said, I I think one of the biggest uh, like what a great resource um, on the team is like talking to some, like for younger athletes, talking to the older athletes and um, asking questions. And like, I know, I know when I first started out, it's like, okay, I'm going on tour. I don't have a coach. Like I'm having to plan all this travel. Like what's, you know, asking the other athletes for advice. And I think that's, uh, you know, everyone's just happy to share information, um, I think. And so, yeah. Say, you know, men, women,
0: reach out. Some people are happy to share information. Friend of the show, Aaron Nossbaum, kind of got on me a little bit when I asked him a secret question the other day. His answer was, you should know this, and then he gave me the answer I eventually wanted. But, you know. <laughs> Some uh, people are a little surly, I'd say. <laughs>
1: guy makes one multi sport games, all of a sudden he's a big shooter now. <laughs>
0: Speaking of force, We
2: can't all know <laughs> everything. About yeah. ball ball hey,
0: if you have a point question, I think Cam Wheeler and Aaron Osbaum are the guys to go to. I think, I think Aaron thinks he
1: knows the answer to every question.
0: <laughs> Except for
1: fashion. Take that vest off, Aaron. I know it's. I know you're wearing it. It's almost September.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he didn't tell me he was wearing a vest the other day. See? I, I, I'm in his head. I already know.
1: The guy dresses like he's in an L.L. Bean catalog. Or a catalog. Still on Stupid best friends. Carry
0: on, Josh? Sure. You mentioned in Canada you don't get recognized too much, obviously, unless you're, you're an Olympic medalist or anything. Um, I want to touch on 1440 a little bit. I know it's not happening this year, but do you feel like that was a step in the right direction to kind of make it a festival feel? Uh, I feel like Kerry and Casey definitely promoted players a lot. Like, he could play with different countrymen, so it wasn't even a country versus country thing anymore. You guys actually went and won San Jose, and I believe, did you plan another one? Uh,
2: Las Vegas was, P1440 was the promoter, but it was a FIVB event, but it was sort of fell under the P1440 umbrella of it.
0: Do you think that festival feels the step in the right direction for our sport, or how would you kind of address the issue where... In Canada, I don't know, let's pop off a number. We probably have 100,000 kids across the country playing volleyball. Maybe, maybe a touch more. Like, even in Ontario, there's at least ten or 12,000 if you count high school and all that Josh, stuff. Josh, you should know that. I should know Yeah, that. Aaron <laughs> would be upset. Aaron <laughs> would <will> be upset. <laughs> I would text somebody who would say, you should know this. You should know that. Anyways, um, do you think that's the best way to get people recognized is to turn it into, like, bring your family, bring your kids. There's stuff to do all day. You get to talk to the players. They're, they're showcased. Like, is that maybe what our sports missing in Canada is, just the... The way to approach people, like Dallas was afraid to in the weight room one day, like, is the tournaments need to start having that feel? Um, I
2: think, I think any promoter, I'll start by saying this, any promoter um, looking to sort of like further the sport of. Each volleyball I, I am a fan of like I will get behind and sort of what P 1440 was doing and, and what they're still doing they're not having any tournaments this year but they are investing a lot in in the development of um, some of the and especially athletes coming out of the NCAA and, and helping them kind of make the transition to a full-time um, I mean I don't I guess my answer is I don't know I don't know what the best way to necessarily like promote the sport in Canada would be, I think I really like the idea of having it um, as part of something else where, you know, you can, there's, there's, you know, tagging on, I think the whole, their whole idea was, you know, okay, we could get, you know, festival goers or concert goers to come and watch beach volleyball, and you know, oh no, and vice versa kind of thing, and trying to get new crowds of people, um, new fans to the sport. Um, I think our, our sport in general is pretty, pretty um, like appro- the athletes are pretty approachable you come to any kind of venue and the athletes you know step off the corridor walking around you can go to, like oftentimes there's a mix zone and um, but even just walking around the venue like the athletes are there you go watch a game other athletes are there watching and I think I think that's something that's kind of neat um, about our sport um, especially you know as you know maybe some like kids coming to watch or, like, can have have that opportunity. But I, yeah, I think anytime there's an opportunity to like individually promote an athlete, um, it is great and, and, and recognize some of the athletes. Um, but... I mean, if you're asking about what's the best way to have a tour in Canada, you know, I don't have that. You should I don't know the an answer, answer to that. But, yeah, but you should talk to Aaron because he probably has the answer.
0: All right, he's been getting <laughs> enough air time on this episode. <laughs> so Dallas and I were speaking at the beach one before we were passing dimes, you know, creators. Yeah. But uh, we, we were overheard speaking about like, I, I don't know, like what, what's going to be the method? And just this person we didn't even know turned and looked us oh, dead in the God. eye and just like blanked and just like, sponsor So, Josh. Josh <laughs> oh, that's the thing we haven't
1: thought of. Josh didn't do this story enough justice, and I do want to be <laughs> on the record of saying this, and I want you to hear this. But we were sort of going back and forth, and we were talking. Like, I was talking about my experience with playing and talking to the promoters in Australia, and being like, "Oh, it costs this amount of money to run a two star. You know, it costs this amount of money to to run a four star." And uh, I just sort of like shot from the hip and I was like, how do you make money as a beach volleyball promoter, right? Like there's no revenue from ticket sales. There's no real, other than the five, star. there's no real revenue generators in terms of merchandise. And like we were sort of of spitballing back and forth just like, you know, how do you make money? And out of nowhere, I had no idea who this person is, still have no idea who this person (laughs) is. She looks at us and she goes, sponsors. (laughs) And she leaves. And I just turned to, and like, she doesn't even wait for an That's answer. Crazy. It's just she looks at us and goes, sponsors. And I, I turned to Josh and I go, oh, of course. <laughs> of, of course. How could I forget? Yeah, sponsors. Because
2: nobody's yeah. thought of that.
0: And, uh. So the next day we called Kellogg's and we started our own professional yeah. beach volleyball tour because <laughs> sponsors. Yeah. You know My why? Gosh. I only use Apple products because sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> That's why this podcast makes so much money. Yeah. <laughs> sponsors. <laughs>
1: Oh my god. And you know what? For the, the running joke was whenever we didn't know a question, it was sponsors. Yeah, okay.
0: I knew we'd get a hot take this yeah. episode. I didn't know I was going to
1: cause it. But... <laughs> I think you just come on a weekly basis. It really smooths me out. I'm not firing at the hip as I usually do.
0: Is there a question in there somewhere? No, I don't think so. I'm having too much fun over here. <laughs> I'm just kind of going down my list. The other question I wanted to touch on. Was UFT kind of your first experience with beach volleyball? There's been a lot of people come out of that. Uh, we talked to Sophia Courier and Alina Dorman who are there now. Uh, it sounds like Alina's hooked. If Sophia didn't have a day job during the day, she'd be hooked too. But was the UFT beach club kind of the start for you? that realized that you could go to like youth worlds and compete and, and be on the national team? Or were you playing in watered down Ontario when you're growing up? Like what was kind of the spark for you?
2: Uh, yeah I play I played like a couple kind of OVA tournaments prior in the summer prior to going to university but uh, I'm gonna date myself again and we didn't they didn't have the beach club when I was in university
1: <laughs> you know what they didn't have <laughs> sponsor <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> Um, but I mean, it wasn't anything formal like they have now with, with their training groups, but, um, at the time, Christine in the summer would lead, uh, practices and then a lot, um, if not almost a majority of the team would be playing, um, in the OVA tournaments, uh, throughout the summer. And, and, uh, and so we would always kind of have a training group and sort of, so, and then there was like, kind of through my uh, teammates at U of T got sort of connected with some of the sort of alumni um, who were still playing, some of the older women, like older than university women, um, still playing. Um, so there was sort of like, uh, as a first year university student, I got to play with, you know, some um, women kind of like, uh, who had like maybe competed on the FIVB and now we're just home and training. And, and so... Um, I really kind of got started that way in the summers and they would have the youth tournaments the Saturday and the adult tournaments on the Sunday, so it was an opportunity like okay I could play like both tournaments each day and so I was just playing a lot and playing with um, a whole bunch of different partners, um, you know different positions and and so I kind of just got exposed to it that way and um, so yeah that was sort of my first experience and then um, I went to Under 21 Worlds with Diane Burroughs. Uh, we split block. <laughs> nice. And um, so, yeah, that was my first international experience. And I think, yeah, I would have been in my second year of university, kind of finished my second year of university at that time. And um, for me, it was, you know, we, you know, we went, we lost every single game, every single set. Um, but it was that experience of, like, okay. I've trained all summer or I've done all the training that I thought that I needed to do. And you know, I get there and just being exposed to the different levels, the much higher levels, you know, like how professional all the teams there were and and also being like, I am not a blocker and I never will be a blocker on the world tour. But you know, even though so going and losing, um, it just had, it was a really, it was still a great experience for me to kind of see, okay, like, do I want to do this, and what do I need to do to get to the level of of these other women? Um, yeah, and then uh, so um, and then as I went sort of through university, um, uh, as I I was I made the senior national team. I think I was in my third or fourth year, and then in my final year, um, I had decided to team up with Liz Maloney and. Um, Christine, I was very fortunate that, you know, Christine and I had an agreement um, that she would let me play a few international events and train beach as the indoor season was going on. And um, so I was still able to um, to do a little bit of both uh, in my last year because I knew once I graduated I would continue on with beach volleyball. So, um, And then I think um, slowly after, the, like, after I had graduated, the beach club came to be a little bit more formal, and they offer that now to a lot of the athletes.
0: Nice. So how do you think you managed that going back and forth? Was it tough, like, going back from sport to sport, and, and kind of, did any of your teammates ever ask, like, why isn't Heather at practice today, like, when you had to miss certain things? Because obviously you were a, a starter on the team and a leader on the team. So yeah. was there a lot to manage there, or was it actually a pretty smooth transition? Um,
2: I think it was, it was definitely exhausting and kind of, like, just going like doing both and ma- and managing everything. And it wasn't, it wasn't for the whole year. I think kind of like at a point in February, I, I stopped with beach just to focus, you know, as the, the indoor season winded down. But, um, you know, I was my, my teammates knew that I wasn't necessarily like skipping practice. I was, um, or I was still practicing just on, on the beach. And, um, yeah, I think to you know, it gave me it gave me a little bit of perspective, like, like allowed me to kind of appreciate both a little bit more, um, and then, um, yeah, I I think it. If I had to do it, I just remember being so exhausted at the time. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that was the that was the year that we won um, OUA's, and and I think there was sort of like at the time I actually at the end of the year, I remember I had sprained my ankle right before playoffs, like really badly. And so, you know, we had a few matches um, where the team had to kind of play without me. And I think, I think sort of like having to practice without me and, you know, having the team to kind of like come together without me on the court was sort of like a really great learning lesson and actually like made our team stronger. So I think, um, I think there was sort of things that like positives that that came out of it
1: I don't know about you Josh I'm pretty freaking inspired right now
0: <laughs> you think you could have done both I know this interview is not about you but we'll ask you one question like you were obviously an OUA player do you think you could have managed both in the same season I'd like to think that I popularized
1: load management long before Kawhi Leonard popularized load <laughs> management um probably yeah exactly right <laughs> same caliber athlete um but I did try to sort of front the load unsuccessfully. Um, the only time that, and I was young, right? I was only 19, 20 years old. I didn't really know what taking a break was. But i just come back from Worlds with Garrett, jumped right into the indoor season, played, like, had a good preseason, first game against Mac, uh tore my shoulder in two spots, and that was it for the year. Like, uh, labrum tear, super spinitis tear, like, toast, like, dumb. Um, so, no, I don't think I could. Maybe if I was playing libero, but definitely not um, You know, swinging and attacking. And I don't know about Heather, but in all of my partnerships, internationally, I got served. <laughs> so, after, getting, after playing with Garrett and getting a summer of getting served every single ball, and when you don't have a finesse game, you just try and crush the ball as hard as you can every single time, and when you don't have a finesse game in indoor and try to crush a ball every single time, it just my shoulder blew out.
0: Load no management. I should have wish I had a little <laughs> load management in my life.
1: But um, Yeah. No, I don't think I could do that. So we like to finish uh, every episode here with like a little road warrior story. Um, because beach volleyball or volleyball in general is so peculiar, we sort of like to, to ask different sort of experiences that you've had with the sport that have put you in certain circumstances that you probably wouldn't find yourself in if you played another sport. Um, One of my favorite stories was T.J. Sanders, who's a setter for the men's team, said that, you know, he boasted on an Instagram post that they were going to beat Iran. And now every single Instagram post, he has like Arabic writing in his feed and he has to translate it. And like, it always roughly translates into something like negative, like, you look like dog face, or like it's just yeah. something funny, like. <laughs> but like, you can almost tee it up every single time. or TJ will have some sort of like derogatory Arabic saying. It's just because he sort of gloated. Um, so my question is, have you have ever been in certain situations, whether it's traveling or you know, in a, in a peculiar spot, that you're just like, oh my god, I can't believe that just happened. Um,
2: my first. Yeah, it was one of my very first Norsica events that I went to. And I was playing with Liz Maloney, and Sam Schachter and Cam Whelan were also there. They were partners. And we arrived early, like, in a small town Mexico. Of course, if anyone's played a Norsica, you know that the shuttles are terribly unreliable. And so we didn't have a shuttle. We had to get a taxi, and I think the taxi was, like, two or three hour taxi ride like into the mountains like into like this really small sketchy town in Mexico and anyways we get there like it's dead it's so dead um and anyways we end up like finally getting a room getting hotel it was but like Mexico everyone like comes out for the tournament so the tournament's packed full of people but like like really, there wasn't like the food was pretty sketchy. You had to be like really careful, and so the very last day, for some reason, Sam and Cam to try decided to try street meat, and they got so sick. And I don't think you'll interview. I don't think you'll interview Cam. So like, oh, like maybe you haven't interviewed him. So he hasn't told this story yet. But he, um, <laughs> he had to, got so sick and had to go to a hospital in Mexico, in, like, the middle of Mexico, nowhere, and, like, I don't know why those guys decided to eat street meat, but that was the really I don't think story. Mexico's
0: the time to be fun and spontaneous <laughs> with you.
2: No! I mean, no, when no, you're craving no. a
0: dog, you're craving a dog.
2: <laughs> <laughs> in Lebanon, we had, like, it was one of my first experiences in, like, a country where they don't... That, like the drivers don't follow, like the lines on the road, and I remember like our driver was like up on the sidewalk, and we were like coming, like driving, like straight on to traffic, like head on into traffic. Um, we definitely got in an accident. Not a, like at one point we got in an accident. We had to stop, and like everybody had to like get off the bus on the way to the venue. Um, uh, I remember there was like the uh, security guards all had, like, these huge, like, machine guns, or not machine guns, like, like, massive guns, um, just, like, walking around the place. I remember there was tons of jellyfish in the sea, and I went in, and I got stung, and I came out, and the first aid person looked at it, took my accreditation card, and then, like, was like, oh, and just took the accreditation card around my neck and just used the side of it to scrape my skin. <laughs> and then was like, okay, here you go. You're fixed. Yeah. That was it. That was it for my jelly jellyfish bite. Um talk
1: to your medical service. <laughs> yes, In
2: best uh best physio. Uh, what else? There was another oh so we had a volunteer and you weren't allowed to leave the venue. Without like um, official kind of personnel, but we went out with this one. Like it was all young kids kind of volunteering, and so this guy, we were going to go out for dinner. He took us to his house first, and it was me and Ben and Jesse, and I think it was just the three of us. And he took us to his house where his family lived, <laughs> and we went to his house, and then he took us. I remember He took us into the bedroom, and pulled out his like this massive gun from under his bed and me and Ben and Jesse all took turns holding his gun and taking photos with this guy's gun. <laughs> <laughs> like, so so random. Um,
1: that's good I like that
2: <laughs> I bet I could find those photos somewhere but uh, yeah that was that was a weird trip yeah
0: (laughs) has anyone been back to francophone
1: games since i I didn't even know that was a thing
2: i didn't know it was a thing at the time i got like i was like a last minute invite because julie rodrigue at the time her partner um couldn't go so i went i don't know i think it still happens sometimes i get random emails about updates but i don't know if beach is a part of it Feels
0: like a lot of good stories came from that, but maybe it wasn't the best environment yeah. for a uh, couple off-the-record off stories for sure. <laughs>
1: well, uh, We'll get you back in the pod when you're tired and tell <laughs> the good ones.
2: I remember one of my first times in Switzerland, um, we like we lost in, in the qualifier, but we were still there for the weekend. This was when Rich Van Heusen was playing, and so he we ended up like biking in the swiss alps had an amazing day and then and then uh we were looking for a public pool and like if you know shot it's like this like super posh like all the rich people like in switzerland go there for their ski holidays and so the hotels are over the top and so we were looking for this public pool and it said it was beside one of this like castle hotel that's up on the mountain and so like rider bikes up there and somehow we sneak into the spa area and Rich is like yeah yeah this is the pool this is what we're <laughs> supposed to go to. And I, was like, I think this is the spa attached to the hotel but somehow we snuck in some like back entrance and so we got there and it was it was quiet like nobody was there and so we we ended up like stealing these uh, house coats from in the spa. I just hung out in the spa all day <laughs> with with Rich. And what a day. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, man. That's what beach players should do, is act like they belong everywhere, especially if you're rich and 6'10 and look like a Viking, and just uh, go wherever you want.
1: I can't tell you how many uh, main drop buffets I inserted myself into. <laughs> <laughs> over my career. Uh, I, uh, yeah. But... Uh, I think that's great. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, Looking forward you to you so next much. time. Man. Yeah. <laughs>
0: thanks for having me. That was me, guys. great. <laughs> thanks for listening, and thanks again to superstar Heather Bansley for joining the show. Heather joins best friend of the show, TJ Sanders, and super best friend of the show, Ben Saxon, as the three Olympians we've had on the show. Sorry, Heather, we overlooked this part in your intro. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five star review, and remember the best compliment you can give the show is telling your friends. If you're in the GTA, check out the nine-man major happening this weekend at the Toronto Metro Convention Centre. It's going to be the best nine-man available this season, and the circuit only comes back every seven years. Stay tuned for new episodes every Friday, and stay excellent, friends.